Welcome to Being in Practice. I'm Erin Davis. I use they, them pronouns. I'm a therapist. I'm Danny Dwyer-Willingham. I use they, she pronouns, and I'm a quantum somatic coach. And we're a couple of queer, neurodivergent, multi-passionates here to get curious and unpack elements of collective and individual experiences through our intuitive, trauma-informed lenses. We're both practitioners and people in our own constant discovery, here to provide education, entertainment, and exploration on the practice of being as messy and as multidimensional as it can be. Let's Let's be in practice practice together. together. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Being in Practice. I'm Danny, they, she. I'm Erin, they, them. And we have an incredible guest with us today. I am going to just preface this by saying, well, I'll start by saying what we're going to be talking about, because I think it's such a huge topic. And Aaron and I have talked so much about this in our previous episodes and how it kind of has influenced our whole, the way we've lived Mm -hmm. and the way we've had to heal. This is religion, everybody. This is religion, religious trauma, indoctrination, things that so many people in Western culture, I mean, in so many cultures, but especially ours, because we're speaking only from our experience, um, have grown up with, have been taught these things have influenced how our brains have formed and how our bodies hold on to things. So we have an expert in all things religious trauma with us today. Laura, uh, this is Laura Rose, everyone. Laura is a certified somatic practitioner and integrated attachment theory coach whose work is focused on religious trauma and adverse spiritual experiences. Her practice is somatic and trauma-informed and explores healing through the lenses of different modalities, including somatics parts work, attachment reprogramming, complex PTSD, and developmental trauma recovery. Laura is passionate about helping fellow survivors unburden themselves from the effects of harmful doctrine and dogmas to reconnect with their joyful personal sovereignty. She is also the host of the upcoming podcast, Religious Trauma Toolkit, slated to release in autumn of 2023. So excited for that podcast. Welcome, Laura. How are Hello. you? Hello. I'm great. Thank you for having me. So excited for you to be here. Oh, also your pronouns are she, her. I didn't want to forget that. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> so I know we've talked so much about this, but I think the place that I'm feeling called to start in asking about religious trauma is, well, first of all, I think acknowledging that not everyone will have experienced this. So Mm -hmm. listeners, if this doesn't resonate with you, that's okay. And also because I know Laura and because I know her expertise, stay tuned because I feel like no matter what you've experienced in your life, I feel like what we're going to cover is going to probably be pretty beneficial. <laughs> well, and even if you don't personally have an experience with with religious trauma, religion is not, you can't divorce from religion. You can't divorce religion from any of our upbringings if you grew up in America. In America specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it wasn't specifically you were religious or went to a church, like you're still, you're still going to take something away, I'm sure, from today. Yeah. Anyway. If you're, if you're alive today in America, you're experiencing the disillusionment of church and state and the separation thereof and all of these things. So, yeah. Yeah. So, Laura, um, I mean, we could start so many places, but I think, first of all, like, how did you come to recognize such the somatic element of religious trauma? How did it show up for you in your body? How do you feel like it colored your own experiences? 
I think for me, I think I'll give a tiny little short version of my life to kind of sum- summarize how I got to that point. Um, I was raised in white evangelicalism. My entire family is evangelical, extended and beyond. I am the only person that I know of in my family that is openly non-religious as of now. Um, and we, I grew up in a really um, strict fundamental Baptist church. My parents eventually transitioned to a different Baptist church that was a lot more, a lot less strict, but was still pretty intense. Um, I got married very young, the religion to marriage pipeline, which I know you guys have alluded to a little bit already in both your stories um, and in previous episodes. And um, it was an, it was an abusive relationship, like a lot of, I think, we can talk more about this, but I think a lot of things about religious systems and religious trauma really sadly kind of grease the wheels for people to end up in abusive situations and abusive relationships. Um, I got myself out of that situation kind of in my mid-20s, and by then I was fully deconstructed. Like I hadn't been part of it for years. I wasn't participating anymore, but I was just realizing that I was not okay. You know, I was struggling. I was struggling in my relationships. Um, I repartnered in my later 20s, early 30s, and while that partner was great and a wonderful person, our relationship struggled. I was struggling in the relationship, and I just realized I just I was depressed. I was just not thriving as a person. And I really didn't understand what was wrong with me. Like I'd been in therapy and, you know, and a couple different kinds of therapy, but I just kind of just had this lingering feeling of like, what happened to me? Like, I don't really like what's wrong with me. I don't understand. Like my life on paper is good. I have so much to be grateful for, happy about, but I was just not thriving and I was struggling. Um, so that led me to I would say a tipping point was I received an email from a um, very religious relative of mine. It was well-intended. It was, you know, someone who was just sending me an email, you know, being like, I'm concerned about your salvation. You know, um, I love you. Here's what God's done in my life, that sort of thing. Uh, And I didn't, I didn't think, like, I read it and I was like, okay, whatever. Like, thanks. I appreciate the good intention behind this. And then about 10 minutes later, I descended into like a full-fledged panic attack. And at this point, I'm, you know, an adult. I have my own life. I have boundaries with my family members. I'm, you know, they know that I'm not religious. Like I thought technically everything was fine. And in that moment, I was like, I am not okay. Like I'm, I'm shaking, I'm crying, I can't breathe. You know, this is, this clearly is something that is still so alive in my body. And it's clearly still like at least partially running the show. Mm-hmm. So that was when I kind of started my like second leg of my therapy and healing journey. And I ended up being lucky enough to find a therapist that had a lot of experience with with religious trauma, which is there are more of them. Um, I see more and more all the time, but this was a few years ago now and there it was kind of hard to find, especially somebody licensed in your state. Um, and it just kind of led me on this several years long journey of healing, of understanding that these things that happened to us um even if you physically remove yourself even if you deconstruct even if you rationally are like i don't believe this and here's why and you know even if you have a really great grip on your own ideas about the world and morality these things until you address them are still living in your body actively or even if they are dormant they could come out you know at any time like i had with that email 
So um, that was, I was, sorry, that was kind of long, but that's sort of how I got to the point of realizing that like, oh, this is, it's not going to be enough to just not believe and to move on and to, you know, live my own life. I really need to address this at a, you know, trauma-informed somatic level. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, I don't know, how to, this sounds like a funny question, but like, you're talking about it being in your body, you had this like traumatic reaction to that email or, you know, trauma response type reaction. Sure. That email. Um, I guess I'm curious, like, what is, what is that trauma? Like, yeah, a specific to you question, but I want to like umbrella it. <laughs> no. You know, what is this yes. religious trauma? I, I think this is important. So let's, let's start there. <laughs> yeah. So I would say just sort of starting for like layman's terms, how I, define trauma and how I kind of use that word in my work is it's any trauma is just any experience that is unresolved in your nervous system. So it doesn't matter if it was, you know, getting into a really intense car accident. It doesn't matter if it's witnessing something horrific or if it's just, you know, somebody was mean to you on the playground and that like just never resolved. Like it can run the gamut of anything. The point is just that it's a, you know, something in your nervous system that is unresolved. So for me, religious trauma, someone who grew up in this system, um, I, I, I didn't like this system at all. You know, I was basically born into it. You know, my sister and I joke that we've been going to church since we were fetuses, you know, and it like, you know, I first learned about this idea of original sin and salvation and, you know, heaven versus hell when I was four. Um, my, someone had passed away and I was at a funeral with my parents and I was like, what happens after you die? And they were like, well, you know, why don't we talk about that when we get home? And to their credit, they did discuss it with me very (laughs) openly and directly how I think you should discuss difficult topics with kids, although this is not a belief or a topic that I think should be given to kids. But anyways, they kind of told me about it and it, I was just dumbfounded because at that point, I mean, I'm four, I have like oatmeal for brains and I've just kind of existed in this bubble of you know, I'm very lucky. My parents are very, you know, loving. And I just had this perfect little existence up until this point. And so to be told that that's not true, you're actually bad, you're born with a sin nature, but everyone has it. But also all you have to do is pray and this like transformative thing will happen. I was like, what? Like, what? Um, so that, so I said, you know, I quote unquote asked Jesus into my heart. I felt nothing. And I remember I'm four and I remember thinking, if this is such a big deal, why don't I feel like I feel nothing? And my Mm. parents are acting like it's a big deal. And I'm just like, oh, shit, like whatever was supposed to happen didn't happen with me. And then I just felt like I had to pretend and it like put on this huge amount of I, I, you know, I, I was at such a young developmental age that obviously a lot of my you know, formative year, my brain and my body formed around a lot of these beliefs. And also I was relating nervous system wise to my parents and they're really formed around these beliefs. Um, But I didn't actually believe it. It's more that like I had to ascribe to it because it was my entire environment. It was my caretaker's environment. And it was very openly the most important thing in my caretaker's life. So as a child, how we, you know, relate to our caregivers, we need them to love, to love us, to like us, to accept us. That's something that you know, we have from the moment we're born. And so I tried to be the perfect Christian kid. Cause I was like, well, they say, if you do, if you just keep showing up, keep doing the things, you know, God will reveal himself. And so 
I was an Awana kid. I don't know if either of you had Awana. Yeah, I was Bible quizzing champ three years in a row. I have the trophies. Wow. Um, yeah, and, which Awana is bullshit, and it only works for kids that can memorize stuff, and it's based in colonialism. But anyways, that's another topic for another time. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it all? It's like I, somebody on YouTube. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll reference it and you can put it in the show notes. But someone did a YouTube video where they broke it down and they found the old Awana books like before they got sanitized, and it's like full manifest destiny mm. shit. Yeah, anyways. Um, Fun. so yeah, it was just it's my entire nervous system, my limbic system formed around these ideas and I didn't like them. And we went to church, you know, at least two or three times a week. And so I was just constantly dreading having to go, having to hear these really upsetting stories. Like the first church we went to really was focused on, it was very fire and brimstone, very sin, hell, repent oriented messaging. And I hated hearing about that. I hated hearing about animal sacrifice. I hated hearing about torture. I hated hearing about genocide. I hated hearing about incest. You know, like it was just like, I don't want to, I hate being exposed to this content three times a week. Child, I'm a child. And so eventually I just that repeated like nervous system activation that I couldn't ever discharge and I couldn't ever get comfort around just keeps getting folded up and repressed into your body. Um, and eventually over time, my, how my body dealt with it was I just dissociated. So I would basically kind of dissociate to get through church and those activities. And then I might kind of come back online for a day or two, but then I had to dissociate again. Cause I mean, it's happening every week, you know, on a regular basis, um, that kind of took a tangent. So I don't know if that answers the question, but. Yeah, I think it just points to this pattern of, I mean, it is what religious trauma is. It, it is, mm. it is being indoctrinated with these stories and these beliefs about humanity and about yourself as an individual of like that you cannot escape from because mm -hmm. you are human, because you are born a sinner and because there is only redemption through Christ or God or whoever the deity yeah. of the church that you are in follows. Um, and I how hated, I hated witness. I hated the idea of having to witness to people. I was like, I'm never going to be able to look someone in the face and be like, do you know that you're awful and going to hell? I, I was just like, I can't. And so I felt like a failure. I think also, um, we can kind of get into more of the attachment stuff maybe later on, but I think take, I grew up in a church where it was constantly said that you need to love God more than anything. So your parents need to love God more than you, and you need to love God more than your parents. And that did such a number on my attachment, because especially hearing that at such a developmental age, yes, it, it was really damaging and something mm -hmm. that I didn't even realize was so damaging until I then kind of really started to unpack this, you know, in yeah. my late 20s, early 30s. I want to just go back to the dissociation piece, because I feel like so much of, of a recurring element of religious trauma survivorship and the healing that comes thereafter is learning how to heal dissociative elements and dissoci dissociation in general, because I do think it creates, it's almost like this whiplash constantly of like, I'm in my body, I'm out of my body. I believe these things, I'm questioning these things. And then I'm told I can't question these things. Therefore, I can't trust myself. And therefore, like it, creates this entire, it, it's so much confusion. I know we've talked so much about mental gymnastics <laughs> and I feel like so fun. this is the pattern though. It creates this pattern of distrust, of dissociation, of disembodiment, all these disses, right? That come from hearing from such a young age that 
you are bad unless this, you have to love God more than your parents. And they certainly don't love you the most <laughs> um, because God is the all. And I think also so much of it is dis here's another dis disempowering in the sense that I know from my experience, like I was taught that God is the reason for everything. And therefore nothing really has to do with personal choice. It's like, if you believe these good things will happen to you. And I grew up with bad things happening to people all around me. I was young when people mm -hmm. in my life started passing away. And, you know, my mom went through this terrible illness when I was five and like actually died and had to be like resuscitated on the table. And she says she came back because of God, <laughs> not anymore because she's done her wow. own, yeah, her own journey away from the church. But just that mindset, I think has been, it's been so confusing for me to understand. And I think because of the way that I've realized similarly to you, Laura, that like I got to this place in my life where basically everything I had done from getting married young, you know, finding my quote unquote life partner, my cishet life partner at 22, like, this is the one I was always like, Oh, I want to be married young, which like, I guess for some people is a valid choice. And for me, it was definitely not an informed choice. It was certainly not a trauma informed or healed choice. Um, it was very much still from that unhealed wounded, like child self who had been just laid bare by the church and by this, these ideals and by the like, actual trauma experience of religious indoctrination. So well, and that's to summarize, I think to, in my brain over here, summarizing, like, what is the answer to what is religious trauma? Mm. As you, as you're speaking, as both of you have been speaking. And I think it sounds like to me to really boil it down, religious trauma is lots of things or can be many things and is, but it's both the experience of like a, somewhat traumatizing indoctrination or conditioning right conditioning to believe your bad like all the things that religion teaches us mm -hmm. um, when we grow up in it so not only is that the trauma but also laura from what even also you were saying and you too danny both of you've talked about this it's also the traumatizing or potentially traumatizing the coping skills we implement to deal with the traumatized conditioning yeah. when we don't know better or don't have the resources to cope adaptively or healthily for sure so whatever that looks like for anyone maybe listening who maybe aren't resonating specifically with what we're talking about or what you guys are talking about with your experiences I'm sure some people are definitely but just like I don't know in my boiled down brain I'm like oh it's like the religion is traumatizing and how we deal with it is traumatizing mm -hmm. or can yeah be. I think it's just another it's just a specific flavor of, mm -hmm. of, of the, or it's just a specific context. Like I think everybody has trauma. I think that's something we should really normalize. And mm -hmm. I don't say that to sound, you know, hyperbolic or like discouraging. We all have trauma because we all have nervous systems and mm -hmm. we just really don't ever live in a perfect bubble where everything that happens, every single thing that happens to our nervous system can be perfectly resolved and we receive perfect attunement or perfect repair. That's just not going to happen. And so mm -hmm. I think, to normalize that, to try and make it less of, of a, just a heavy idea. And then to also, yeah, just to say that like religious trauma is just a flavor of that. Like, it's just that, the, oh, you received it because of these kind of religious specific ideas or, you know, the things that happen in, you know, religious communities, that sort of thing. So it really, I think it's so, you're so right. It's so applicable in the sense that 
and I think this is why it took me a long time to realize that I even had religious trauma is because I was just like, well, everybody does, you know, dumb shit in their 20s. Like everybody gets married to bad people now. And again, right? Everybody drinks a lot. Everybody just like, it's, you're just young. It's whatever. And realizing that all of these really harmful behaviors, um, harmful to me, sometimes even harmful to others, were just coping, coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Maladaptive. And so maladaptive. Yeah. And so once I then started to sort of, you know, pull up the threads and kind of trace back and sort of do this, you know, forensic work of like, what happened to me? That's what led me to realize, oh, all of these things originated really kind of in my early formative years around, because that was just the soup I was in, <laughs> was the religious soup. So totally. I think it's, it's, it can be, I think somatic and trauma informed work can be applicable to anybody. Um, and I also would say that if you live in America, you probably know or love someone that has been adversely affected by no religion or evangelicalism. I I think it's impossible not to. I mean, I mm-hmm. I'm laughing over here because my my romantic partner is Jewish, and Laura and I have they don't have a concept of what it feels like to grow up in in evangelicism, and they're Laura, so baffled. They're like, wait, so people actually believe these things, and they're actually telling children these things. Like they can't even conceptualize that this is how we were raised. And we've had to spend so much time being like, yes, and this is why there are so many people around us faltering. I think, you know, mm. we we talk so much about being queer people with chronic, chronic illness. Like we've kind of emerged into our mid-30s, divorced and with chronic illness and with these like health issues that live in our bodies, I think so much of it is environmental and so much of it is like because of the trauma that our bodies carry. And I think that kind of like you said, normalizing that this isn't, this is a huge influence on especially like American Western society and culture is that this is what a lot of us who are kind of um, maybe emerging from the fogs of first marriages of things like that, like we're starting to reckon with. And I think, Laura, I've heard you talk so much about people who come to this place where they've left the church and there's a lot of support for people like that. There's a lot of like, okay, here's how you like, here's resources for that. Here's how you start building community. But you talk so much about how this missing piece and kind of like how you came to the experience of realizing that this was still so alive in your body is that people don't realize that it's like actually still how your nervous system is in play and how your body is still dealing with other stressors. It might not even have anything to do with religion, Mm -hmm. but because like, as we've talked about, there's been this like whiplash of dissociation of, and of nervous system activation that's still how we're wired. And so I think a lot of us are coming into our mid thirties into, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are resurfacing after church experiences and then still being like, why do I still feel all of these things all the time? I think I have, I don't remember if this is actual research or just anecdotal, but um, community is pretty much the number one reason why people don't, leave a belief system or a church or that sort of thing um or maybe their beliefs change inwardly but they are still you know actively participating um and when you step out of that for one it can obviously be traumatizing itself to lose community or to feel shamed ostracized that is we're so wired to belong and especially if you've 
spent the first couple decades of your life like trading your authenticity to belong and then you still decide to step away oof that is a tough thing to process it's really painful and can take a long time but also i was going to say that um it's you're you're probably not very well resourced or skilled to even begin to rebuild community because you probably don't really have a well calibrated idea of how to um find and create and cultivate healthy relationships because so much of religion outsources um it's all based on this kind of love you know we all live in this really loving like little you know community we all love each other if you ever you know are a new person at a church you're getting kind of love bombed by these people and these this is unearned intimacy like mm. you don't know you don't know these people they don't know like nothing has been earned no trust has been developed you kind of only ever see these people in just this context you're not actually really building you know trust you know that sort of graph of like trust is you know consistent action meeting time that's none of that's actually happening and so you don't really know how to your only way often to gauge is if someone else thinks or feels or believes the same way as you and so you kind of then we'll just sort of orient yourself towards trying to find other people that meet that nervous system resonance because you haven't actually learned for one you're not in your own resonance you don't actually know what you want and need in a relationship because that's all been stripped away through these teachings but you yeah. don't really know how to judge maybe not judge but like you don't know how to assess like who is a safe person for you like who how how do i even you know get to know someone slowly over time how do i build a relationship without like so many of my relationships after leaving this belief system pretty much a decade after that we're just trauma bonding relationships like just reliving this trauma and so it's so not only are you potentially lonely feeling ostracized probably dealing with some difficulty in your closer relationships especially like family relationships you aren't equipped to start to rebuild community for mm -hmm. yourself because right. you don't really have a good foundation for what a healthy relationship is let alone healthy community mm -hmm. i think this brings up for me something i know we've talked about but that resilience and resiliency is i feel like such a hot topic these days and yes there's a misunderstanding about what true resilience actually is resiliency in the way that i think that i hear it used is like survival it's like people think that just getting through and be and overcoming challenges is resilience. And what you're talking about is like, you have to have actual skills in cultivating regulation, actual skills in cultivating secure attachment relationships, actual skills in like somatic healing and, and addressing the ways that our limbic systems and nervous systems need support that like that and being able to enact those in challenging situations that is actual resiliency and i you, think sorry to interrupt but it just no. to piggyback on that you have to also be in touch with your own needs mm -hmm. and you have just spent however many years in a system telling you that you don't get to have any needs god that will take care of everything like you don't need to have any needs you're out like all of you never this is a topic i'm really passionate about is you never you never get to properly develop resiliency because you're outsourcing all of your grief, all of your joy, all of your emotional experience to this parasocial relationship that you're having. 
sorry to interrupt, but just, I feel like that's relative. Who might not understand. Uh, parasocial relationship is just a relationship that's one-sided. So that could be, you know, we have fun parasocial relationships all the time. You know, it could be a celebrity. Yeah, celebrity you like, an author. It could be a character in a book. You know, they're legitimate and they do have their benefits. But when you're entire with God, yeah. When you're, when you're yeah, when you're entire, you know, and I don't think that's necessarily bad. You know, if it serves you and you're not doing harm to other people, live and let live. But when you are missing out on these developmental milestones and you're not really getting the chance to ever build resiliency and you're outsourcing that you are then all of a sudden finding yourself you know a full-fledged adult and you are the equivalent of like a seven-year-old in that area and it's tough i want to talk a little bit about brain development in this too because i think understanding even for for folks who aren't religious or don't have this experience with religious trauma, if you're parenting, if you have been a child, this is important information to learn because child in childhood development, like your brain goes through its first massive formation from zero to seven. And yeah. then the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until you're, it's 25, right? 25. Yeah. So your brain literally until your mid twenties is still forming and any developmental experiences, any impactful experiences, whether it's indoctrination or shock trauma or anything that you go through from zero to seven. And then for, again, from seven to 25 is actually forming the neural pathways in your brain and then getting reinforced. You talked a lot about that loop, like the loop of reinforcement and like the confirmation bias that comes with finding your people and finding your bubble and wanting to like believe that the things you also believe are true and having people around you support that belief system. And I think that's just, I mean, I would love to hear you speak a little bit about that because I think it's important for literally anyone who's on this journey of like self-discovery to understand more about brain development and how that affects how we like, again, somatically like hold on to things and process things. Sure. I mean, I'm not a neuroscientist or an expert in brain development, but um, I do look at things developmentally through an attachment lens. And so from, you know, zero to seven, you don't have your own nervous system. You are enmeshed developmentally with your caregivers in a healthful way. That's how it's supposed to be. Hopefully. Yeah. And yeah. And you are, you know, there are several core needs, but I think some big ones to highlight here is attunement and also the core need to like, I don't want to say unconditional love because I feel like that's such a fraught term, but like you need to be able to be loved without having it be earned. Mm -hmm. Like you need a caregiver to love you, even, you know, feel like they will still love you even if you fail, do something wrong, don't meet a metric, that sort of thing. Like they love you just because you exist, not because, you know, you do certain things or you like the same things that they like. Mm -hmm. That kind of will then set you up for more healthy individuation as an adult. Um. Is that kind of what you're talking about? What you're yeah, wondering absolutely. about? Yeah. I mean, and I love, mm -hmm. I think, again, attachment theory and like, what's yeah. your style? It's so like in the matrix right now. Well, and I think, you know, for so many, you know, however your attachment style may present, and for most people, it's more than one. You're usually a mix of things. But um, you, the core, what's so striking to me is these core attachment wounds. Once you kind of boil them all down, there's kind of a set of them. They're all not all, but so many of them are either core tenets of religion or things that you will start to believe about yourself if you adhere to like core mm -hmm. tenets of religion. Like I am incapable, I am unsafe, I am unlovable. 
there is something wrong with me. You know, like these, I like people will abandon me. Like I spent the first several years of my life being like, is, you know, hearing these stories about God testing people. I'm like, is, you know, it, like Job, like, am I going to be a kid that gets crushed in the house because God decides to test my parents? Like, are they going to, you know, am I going to become a human sacrifice? Like I knew logically that was not going to happen. But my nervous system did not know that. No. Because kind of the hierarchy is like, I realized, okay, this religion is the most important thing to my caregivers. My caregivers, like, are, are, I'm not the most important thing to them. Ergo, whatever this system says that they need to do, they're going to adhere to. And the shit that I'm hearing day in and day out in my children's Bible and the little flannel graphs, going to church three times a week is scary shit. And I am not safe. Oh, and on top of that, I'm bad and unlovable and also I'm incapable and my heart is wicked. Like, oof, that is just a recipe for attachment disaster in my opinion. Um, Not everybody may have this experience. Like I know some people are much more culturally Christian and depending on how you attach to your caregivers, you could totally have secure attachment. This might have sort of bounced off of you and just kind of like meh. But I think that for a lot of people, especially if you're I know a highly sensitive person, which that's 20% of the population. I'm one. Hello. Um, Hearing these, you know, graphic and upsetting stories and ideas. It's just like, you're kind of just getting like cattle prodded just day in, day out. And then, you know, certain times of the week, you're going to get prodded a bunch more because it's Sunday or it's Wednesday night. And so it just sort of accumulates all of these wounds and these ideas about yourself that you could leave this, you know, like me, I stepped away from it basically as soon as I got out of the house, but I of course couldn't actually get out of the house on my own because I was incapable. I had to marry somebody to get out of the house. Oh, but um, you know, then, but once I ended that relationship and I was like living on my own as an adult, I you know, was like, I don't believe this stuff anymore. I haven't for a really long time. It's not part of my life. Why am I still so miserable? And it's because in these really early formative years of attachment development and brain development, you are developing these really intense wounds that this religious system is just not really set up to ever resolve. Yeah. Kind of going back a little bit, what you said. So there is like also maybe another, I'm like the king of caveats today, I think, but (laughs) that, so not, I mean, I think it's important for maybe even our listeners to hear not all religion or religious experiences or like being culturally Christian or whatever causes trauma or Mm -hmm. leads to insecure attachment or you know not in every single circumstance is like religion Mm -hmm. going to cause trauma no and i don't think we're saying that but just so that it has been said and and another caveat i'd love to add on to that is you can um maybe explore and unpack and realize that you have some religious trauma or some things that have harmed you and still keep your belief system and thrive in it you know just because we get, you know, we do this all the time in other ways in relationships. Like you heal things through your family. You don't just never talk to them again. I mean, maybe you don't, but hopefully, you know, it's just, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's more about leaving. I think because I had, I'm, you know, I had parents who really loved me. I mean, still love me, you know, I, especially compared to kids, I other kids I knew, I had a really great life. You know, I grew up in the country, I had access to nature, like I had a lot of privileges. And so it really took me a long time to even consider the idea that like anything could have harmed me or like, is there a wound somewhere or what's even going on? I don't really feel like I have a right to complain. And 
for one, that's just a bullshit idea that we need to like get rid of entirely. But I just, I think there can be a lot of subtle wounding and wounding really kind of early in these developmental stages that people will just think like people aren't going to, aren't, aren't going to go looking for it because they have a good life that sort of thing. So another caveat would be, even if you think your life is great and fine, if you're struggling, start to look into stuff because yes. like we're all affected. We all have wounds. Like I said, we all have trauma. And I think mm-hmm. it's like, again, going back to the body, like we all have places where these things live. We all, we all have roots. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite metaphors that one of my greatest therapists so far has given me is like a lot of the symptoms that I know I was experiencing later in life, uh, later in life, like <laughs> dry. I keep saying this. We keep saying later in life and then correct ourselves. We're the thirties people. I would say yeah. probably in my, in my late twenties, early thirties, after I'd had a baby, after my body had broken, after like I had realized that I had this disability and had had all of these mental health issues, and was like, I am not okay, and if I want to be here on this planet, I have got to do something about it. Anyways, he was like, these are the festers. Like these symptoms are the thing are, is like the infection. There's a thorn that thorn is attached to a vine that has roots and those roots are in your body. And those Mm -hmm. roots are literally like gripping parts of your system. They are completely entrenched in your nervous system. And those vines are entwining themselves all around you. And those thorns are like these points of infection where like, that's where all of these somatic symptoms, all of like, not that there weren't chemical imbalances and things like that, that weren't happening, but so much of it was like, because I was just treating the thorn wounds and I wasn't do any, doing anything to address the like inner like root system that was going on. And I remember describing it as like a hole. Like I felt like I had a hole in myself, in my being. And I was just like pouring sand into it. And I could never understand why I couldn't feel like a person, like, like literally a person deserving of living in a body because it was just like go through. And when I started addressing the, and this is how I came into somatic work myself as a somatic coach was like, when I started addressing the somatic parts of what those things, like where those things were actually living inside of me, that's when I started being able to heal what I had described as that whole wound and then was able to actually start healing. But that was years and years and years of like different types of therapy and different types of like processing and talking. And, and only until I started going into the, the body, (laughs) was I able to start actually like healing and addressing the things. So, yeah. And I think this is kind of what you're saying is why people can really struggle with lingering beliefs like hell is a huge one for people um you know if you were traumatized by that as a child like if that activated your nervous system probably repeatedly as a child and was never resolved and never repaired that like hell is living in your body it doesn't matter if you don't believe it doesn't matter if you've built an entire life and like just completely disregarded this idea it doesn't matter if you've done all this research and read all this stuff about rationally and academically why it's nonsense doesn't matter it's living inside of your body and I think also a piece uh, an accompaniment to somatics that I think is really important especially with religious trauma is learning 
how to reparent yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you have to, you know, a lot of these religious systems and a lot of their teachings, their a lot of their kind of core ideas and doctrines can really be, I think, like interpreted as disempowering, right? Because you're supposed to trust God. God's going to take care of you. Like we talked about, you're not really building capacity, resiliency, all these things. And um, you also said, Danny, at the beginning about like trusting yourself. You don't trust yourself. You know, the heart is deceitful among all things, desperately wicked. You know, you're told like literally the core of you is untrustworthy and you need to trust this book and this God. And learning, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, and it's like you said, that that's, that's, those are the tendrils that you're talking about, these core things that are living inside of us. And you learning to reparent yourself, I, I just think it's such a beautiful tool. And I think that like, I, when I first heard about the idea of hell, I kind of just immediately dissociated because I was like, I know, like, I'm, I'm just not on board with that. I didn't mean for me, I meant for the like, you know, two thirds of the world that apparently would fall under this category of being unsaved. And I was like, I can't accept that. I can't live with this idea. I'm just not, I just can't. And I didn't say that to my parents, obviously, but I just was like, no, this is not for me. So I didn't, you know, personally have that as a trauma, but I know a lot of people who have. And um, I think you, it might sound far-fetched to someone potentially who's listening to this, but like you can get to a place where the idea of hell is truly laughable because you are, you know, precious and worthy just inherently. It's mm-hmm. like, it'd be like sending like your dog to hell. If someone was like, your dog's going to hell. I'd be like, my dog is perfection. No, they're not. Go away. Like you can feel that way about yourself. Like these ideas really can become, I don't want to make, I'm not trying to make light of them, but they can become so ridiculous under mm-hmm. the light of reparenting to be like, no, that's not, you know, that's just not going to be a thing. That's not something I ascribe to. And it's not something I even worry about because I'm so secure in myself how I deeply care for myself how I love myself so mm-hmm. it doesn't apply you know we've talked so many thoughts I know so many thoughts do you want to no it's okay you can um, go. we've talked so much about and we had the whole episode on shame and kind of boiling it down into this need to regulate dysfunction and dysregulation into worthiness and I think that is mm-hmm. so much also a part of Mm-hmm. healing from any attachment wounding, any attachment trauma, mm-hmm. any religious indoctrination, anything like this. Again, wherever, whatever the source is, um, I feel like shame is a huge element and guilt is a huge element of divesting. That is something that keeps people from leaving these belief systems is because there is so much guilt. There is so much shame. There is, I mean, it's making me want to bring up like cancel culture, how so much of white supremacy really is just intertwined in all of these ideals of like, if someone does not ascribe to these belief systems, therefore they are ostracized. Therefore two thirds of the world is going to hell. Like it leaves so little room for nuance and for actual care and, I just feel like that's something that I think as queer folks breaking outside of nuclear family and doing all of these things so differently than, than white supremacist, cis heteronormative patriarchal culture would have us do is like, we can only do this and it only feels safe for us because we have gotten to this place of being able to trust ourselves. Like I couldn't have done this 
10 years ago, five years ago, because I didn't trust myself. And I think that's such a huge component of just like what, what, again, whatever our attachment wounding is, most of us have it. And I think that it is true. Like we need to normalize that, like, regardless of if you think your childhood was great or not, most of us have some sort of, of, of malformating influences on our, on us as children. Mm -hmm. having grown up in this culture, whether, whether it was the educational system, like again, whatever mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm, definitely as people with ADHD, like things, all the things. So I think that this just all ties into, I mean, like, how do we start? Where do we start? <laughs> start. Where do we, where do we start? If, if like, if people are listening, being like, oh, wow, I never, I'm only for the first time, like realizing that I've got attachment wounding or like realizing that I've got shame or realizing that I don't trust myself. Like, where do you recommend people start? I feel like I ask this question a lot. And you do. Like, it's so funny. I'm like, where do we start? <laughs> what, what would you do? Yeah. The world. I think everyone's, I mean, going to give a sort of like a bit of a vague response to your vague question. I think it's going to be personal to everyone's journey. Like I started just consuming everything I could find on the internet. I was just Googling, you know, thoughts that I had to see what other people had written about. I was just starting to learn about, you know, years ago when I was learning about attachment and I was learning about trauma, I was learning about complex trauma, <clears throat> which I am of the school of thought that religious trauma is complex trauma because complex trauma is anything. I mean, it's a, to boil it down. It's anything that is repeat happens repeatedly over time that you are powerless to step out of. Yes. And if you are a child in a system like this, these things are happening to you repeatedly over time and you are not able to step out of it or to ask for help or to speak your difference or opposition yeah. to that. Um, so I think just learning about, if any of this hits a ping for you, just pick any of the ideas and kind of start to research them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, whether it's attachment, whether it's trauma, whether it's just somatic work, there are a lot of, there's so many great things on the internet, honestly. Like there's so much stuff that you can find. There's, I love a good podcast. I'll just type in, you know, healing from shame or, heal, you know, whatever. You could just search for podcasts. Um, you, there's a ton of stuff on YouTube. There's a lot of great content creators. So you can hear people's experiences and that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. something I'm really excited about with my upcoming podcast is I feel like, you know, I spent the first few years that I was out of, you know, out of religion, especially out of my, you know, marriage, I was consuming most of the content back then was just people sharing their stories, which is great. I, the power of sharing stories and like feeling less alone is such a beautiful antidote to shame. Like Brene Brown talks about, you know, the antidote to shame is empathy. So I think when we, you know, share stories and see, you know, we mirror each other to each other, I think that's incredibly healing. But after a few years of that, I was like, and also I'm still struggling. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm really hoping to bring a lot of tangible different tools and ideas and kind of unpack these uh, things piecemeal and give people things that they can do, you know, if they maybe can't get into a therapist, if they're on a therapist wait list, or even if they like, you know, can't afford a coach, like I really want to provide people with accessible things that they can do to help, help them in the moment, mm -hmm. help them a little bit long term, and kind of help them build out, you know, that's why it's called religious trauma toolkit is to just try and give people help them build a toolkit for wherever they might be at in their recovery. I love that. I'm so excited for your podcast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Me too. Cool. Yeah. So I guess, <clears throat> I guess, 
you just really know in here. I don't know. I just have a million thoughts related. And do you want to start on? I don't know. We would be backtracking a bit. That's okay. I was just thinking about like, I don't know. It feels really random and like kind of everywhere, but how the Bible exists and how. I don't know. I don't feel like it's going to make sense. I was thinking about the Bible. I was thinking about how harm is probably done more in the religious context by people misinterpreting the Bible mm. and my journey to like, not that I like read the Bible still or like, I don't even know, but I, I don't know, like we were talking about hell and I was just like, yeah, well, like hell exists because hell is like, if you decide to like, not decide, but like come upon living on like, this could be hell. Mm -hmm. Your life could be hell. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. And so I was thinking about that when you were talking about hell, like how that's something I've really taken away from my plant medicine experiences mm -hmm. is like, oh, mm -hmm. that's what Jesus was talking about. Like, that's what the Bible is talking about. Like, the Bible is a bunch of metaphor, in my opinion. Yeah. And how it is misinterpreted deeply and then like you know misinterpretations get misinterpreted and then yes. people just want power and like all the things that come with like certain people speaking the word quote-unquote word of god to other people but i'm like oh that's like the kingdom of heaven is like here right now and that's like what jesus I don't, there's a lot that i was thinking about just like yeah i there's a lot of stuff no, there's totally. a lot of stuff I, I, just like, I just want to chime in real fast danny sorry kind of what you're saying aaron i have a episode i'm really excited about um that's going to be about how my kind of interpretation of heaven and hell are actually that they are imbalic imbalanced limbic states they are ideas that came from they're both they're both traumatic ideas like i think people think that oh hell is a trauma response i don't believe in hell but heaven is great like i actually think heaven is just as much of a trauma response in terms of like an idea like if you're if you're a person yeah. you're in deep pain and like let you know something absolutely horrific happens to you happens to someone you love probably is the worst and you're mm -hmm. thinking i this I'm going to burn in the suffering forever. This is never going to go away. I need justice. Like I want this person to experience the same thing. Like that's mm -hmm. the idea of hell. And that's why people mm -hmm. I think, aside from cognitive dissonance, can kind of be okay with other people going to hell is because they're like, well, I can kind of like I can kind of imagine wanting someone to be as miserable as I am forever because I feel like I'll never heal from this. Mm -hmm. For one, we can access healing. Like people, you know, I really believe in the mind and the body and the heart's capacity for healing. But also on the flip side of that, if you're in deep suffering, you're not thinking, I can't wait to come back into balance and like reenact with the world in a balanced way. You're thinking, I never want to feel this ever again. I don't want to hurt ever again. I don't want to be sad ever again. Like I want to just jettison over to the other end of the spectrum. And I just want to be happy and not think about anything ever again, which yep. is basically the description of heaven other than like the gold streets and so i really find these ideas to be incredibly human i think they're so human i think they're so based on the human experience and i really think that they're based in the limbic experience yeah. well that's the, the other thought i was having as we were talking you guys were all talking was also like chicken i was thinking chicken or egg like we're talking about religious trauma but like also what part of like as humans in like what I believe all oneness, we created religion, mm -hmm. not you and me, yeah. us, but like we created religion from our minds of like this, what you're talking about, this extreme, like it's terrible. So I have to create something beautiful. And then it all gets jumbled and weird. And like, 
yeah like so is it the chicken or the egg we're sitting here talking about religious trauma and like not that that's not something we want to focus on or doesn't exist or you know is our own fault Mm. and at the same time like did our minds create religion because that's what our minds are doing to us anyway so regardless if religion existed or didn't we'd still be having something that was causing us to disassociate Mm. and not be our authentic self and we'd be still be scared and like heaven and hell would still it'd be a different version who knows right Right. like yeah I don't know chicken I was having lots of wild thoughts over here while you guys I think and I think that's exactly what we were talking about earlier where like this is just a flavor of that like you're gonna have this in the human experience it just kind of your the context of your human experience will be what colors your trauma experience for sure. And I think I'm just feeling called to bring in the the maladapting the maladaptive coping skills of self medication. Because I think that so much of this like kind of what you were saying, there would always be something. I think humans would always humans always try to conceptualize things that can't necessarily be put into human language, right? And I think a huge part of the those mental gymnastics is this deep again we've talked so much about this but the deep sense of like the deep wounding the deep lack of self-trust the deep shame and i think so many of us who have resurfaced thankfully on the other side of things like substance abuse of things like eating disorders of things like harmful sexual behavior of of things like that that are like self-treatments for this pain that we are feeling is realizing that, you know, we have only tried to make sense of what we've been given in this human life where suffering and pain is very real and where like the systems are unfair and where like bad shit happens, you know? And I think kind of like you were saying, you can get to this place. It Like it is possible to get to this place of saying like, I love myself. I am worthy of better than the maladapting coping skills that I lived with. Then I am better than the substance abuse I put myself through. I am better than all of these harmful patterns that are running the show. I deserve more. And I think like we talk so much about how that can feel so overwhelming, but also I just want to reinforce that for people who are just starting wherever, where do you start? Um, that this is a very complex, complex process and support is absolutely necessary, whatever that support looks like, whether it's if you're able to access therapy or a somatic coach or a religious trauma specialist or things like that, or just using the internet and free access for these things is that if that's where you start giving yourself grace, because I think that's also not something that we are taught a lot of in in the context of religion is like being able to question things, being able Mm -hmm. to take our time unpacking these really pervasive, complex belief systems. I think we just need to hear that like, yes, it is possible to get on the other side of that and also just like have as much possible care and gentleness for yourself going through this process as also is possible because the shit that we feel is very real and I just want to like super validate that for anybody listening who might feel very like activated by this conversation and you saying that actually kind of brought up for me if I were to answer the question of like where to start um I would probably say start to explore your relationship to capacity 
Mm -hmm. Like what is your capacity to be uncomfortable? What is your capacity to be around things that are maybe triggering? What is your capacity for joy? What is your capacity to have fun? Just like thinking about your capacity and how that is something that is um, very plastic and trainable Mm -hmm. and you can work on healing capacity, expanding capacity. That's so much of what, you know, somatic work, breath work, trauma work is around. There are so many great books like, you know, just Google, you'll find a ton and I'll, I can um, send some too to add to the show notes. Kind of what you're saying where you can get to this point, you know, healing, you're never healed. Healing goes on forever. It's just, you know, a kind of upward spiral where you get to sort of peek down at where you were before and be like, oh, look how far I've come. And also like, I'm still working on things. But mm-hmm. I think that what the point is not to become perfectly healed and not have any problems and never react to anything ever again. The point is to start to rebuild to develop your capacity because if you have nervous system capacity if you have limbic and emotional capacity the set of options that you have in life greatly expands it expands your relationships it expands how you move through difficult times it expands your ability to like push yourself and grow and do new and exciting things Um, and i think that not only for people that have had any kind of trauma but particularly with religious trauma your capacity is never encouraged. It's always kind of diminished by a lot of these ideas. And it just naturally, not naturally, but like in response to that, it doesn't really ever grow or form. And also we, like capacity also forms around our attachments and our relationships to other people. So if you're surrounded by people that all have this kind of same diminished capacity, it's never really going to expand or change. Mm-hmm. So I would say if you were curious about any of this and you want, if you're just like, I don't know where to begin. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I would say these days, who isn't these days? Yeah. Do a little Googling on that. Um, Irene Lyons is a YouTube content creator. I'm not affiliated with her at all, but I'm a big fan of her work. She has, lots of free guides and amazing videos about how to like actually somatically work on your capacity, stuff like Mm. that. So if I were to give one little tip of like, I don't know where to start other than just Googling what sounds good to you, I think that'd be a great starting point. Mm -hmm. I did want to just ping back because you said something about like the brain being plastic. And I just wanted to name that as neuroplasticity. If that's up for people, that's also a really it's kind of tied into like mindset change, but also it's very real neuroscience of how to rewire your brain. And when your body even, and when you're in, a, when your emotional system is in certain states, you have higher capacity for neuroplasticity, which means you can change your mental and neuro pathways and then change behavior to greater ability and to greater extent in certain emotional states. So I think that's Mm -hmm. also a really fun one to look into. Yeah. And on that, like the, your brain is, your brain is always trying to conserve energy. It's always trying to do the least amount of work. So that means when you're going through something, it's always going to try and take the path of least resistance, the path that's like the well-worn path. And so if you've spent your whole life with these formative ideas and you have these well-worn grooves in your brain, your brain's like, I'm tired. I don't want to like forge a whole new path over here in this moment when this person's like confronting me or I'm in this triggering situation. I want to go back to this easy path because I need to conserve energy. So it's kind of just the same as any other kind of like, you know, working out or building a new skill is you're literally just rerouting things in your brain to have paths that are either equal to or even more well-worn to where that becomes where your brain will default to. And that's something that is totally possible. And I think isn't really talked about enough in the context of healing, healing. People can feel so discouraged and it really is possible. 
which is why talking doesn't change like talking doesn't talking actually can reinforce those worn Mm -hmm. trauma built neural pathways and wounding built neural pathways which is why it takes somatic work it takes shifting behavior it takes these it takes a very uh all encompassing like i mean i hesitate to use the word holistic but whole system healing is required Mm -hmm. to reform neuro pathways it just and i think that's something we don't enforce a lot or yeah there's there's that quote i've heard it attributed to a few different people but that quote that's like you know give me a boy until seven and i'll show you the man that's based on like neuros like they didn't have it back then you know i think it's an old quote but like mm-hmm. it's because from zero to seven your brain basically you're the you're in theta state you're in theta brainwave state so basically from zero to seven you are in especially from about zero to four you are basically in a state of like light to moderate hypnosis so all of these ideas that you're getting that um, and ideas land the most if they're emotionally charged and or like repeated or like come from caregivers yes like, those are huge so these ideas that you're getting are literally forming all these grooves in your brain and by seven they can feel really solidified and you'll probably re- you will probably rely on those pathways and those ideas until they no longer work for you and you feel like you actually need to make new ones but it yeah. is it is very possible it's just that's why it can feel so dense and heavy is because these things happen in early childhood they're developmental I mean, this goes into inner child healing. This is why so many adults are literally walking around as wounded seven-year-olds because that's when their brains had the most formation and that's what Mm -hmm. they have lived as those people in growing bodies since then. And I think we will need to talk so much more about all of this because like you said, even before we started recording, Laura, I think we could could have, I mean, you are, you do have a whole podcast about it, but this is like, (laughs) I think- these intertwining concepts just influence so much of how humanity lives. And I think these are such valuable things to explore regardless of where you come from. And I just, uh, I feel, I think all of our episodes or most, if not all of our episodes intertwine with always with every other, all of these things. And so much less this topic is so big and deep and huge Mm. that it naturally flows into all of even some of the things we've already done over in episodes people have listened to shame yeah. and everything i do i know we're running so far on time but i do want to go back because our previous episode with dr devin price who's who's a social psychologist who special, specializes in autism uh he talked about how high doctrinating environments or high control environments are like often people with neurodivergency are more susceptible to those things and i I I just wanted to tie that in quickly. We don't have to get into it, but because we did talk a little bit about it in that episode, but again, it's something that I think also people can start looking to into on their own is like, if you do have ADHD or if you are autistic and you also come from a religious or indoctrinating background, like these are things that can be very intensely intertwined. And I think that's also Mm -hmm. an important, um, connection to make just for people who might be listening, who are curious about where to start. I'm not going to give you solutions to that because again, I think it's a multi-layered process, but Mm. um, just kind of like putting these things together so that people can take these nuggets and, you know, run with them until we have the ability to talk about them again here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This has been 
deep, deep and wide, fantastic, wide, all of the things. Super helpful. Laura, where can people find you and how can we share? Um, yeah, my website is not quite live yet, but it is, it will be soon. Um, it's just religioustraumatoolkit.com. That's also going to be the name of my podcast. If people want to reach me before it's live, either just to ask questions, connect, or I'll be opening my coaching books in the next couple months. So if people want to get on a wait list, they can just email me. It's just laura at religioustraumatoolkit.com. Beautiful. Cool. Thank mm-hmm. you. I, I mean, I have... I've, I have benefited so much from your work and I just am so excited for other people to be able to do the same. Um, so grateful for you and just like the grace and the expertise that you have and your capacity for care is just astounding. So I'm so grateful for you and mm. I'm so glad our listeners get to experience this conversation. Yeah. This was enlightening for me even. Yeah. <laughs> so I loved Thanks it. for inviting me. And I've gotten so much out of the episodes you guys have already released at this point in time so thanks for putting out your work too thank you yeah Mm -hmm. it's very very mutual you know queers caring for queers exactly we need it next week (laughs) next episode yes is on identity this is going to be a non-attachment um we interviewed your chuck hope inspire yeah on all things like identity fluidity uh in the workplace, in gender, in sexuality, it's going to be a good one. So tune in for that next week, folks. And until next time, thank you, Laura. And thank you all for being in practice with us. Thank you. Bye.